welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm a host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's been lording it over his wife for a full day, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I presume you're talking about the Baylor uh, UT basketball, but it, it could be literally anything. Um, but Gerald, in fact, uh, the lording stops. We're recording this the evening of 131. Uh, February is officially her birthday month, so, um, you know, she my, my queen. She's perfect. Uh, we all know that. Uh, if she listens to a podcast, it's probably the first 30 seconds, so make sure I squeeze that right in there. But yes, Texas did beat Baylor. That did happen. We love you, Mrs. Carpenter. It's fine. We just <laughs> like to give you grief. Yeah, Texas beat Baylor uh, for like the first time in like four seasons, right? So uh, it feels good to get that out of the way, but we'll obviously talk about basketball, both the men's and the ladies' side. Ladies had a little bit more luck than the men. Uh, Big 12 finally released the schedule. Texas, um, relatively favorable draw. We'll talk about that. Tennis back in action. Uh, back to their winning ways. A lot of action in the sports that will probably carry Texas to another Director's Cup. So we'll obviously update you with that. Longhorns, the NFL, and all sorts of ancillary stuff with burnt orange lenses. Obviously, we'll close the show out with some Godzilla Tron and bang the drum in a interesting set of games on Saturday, the big 12 sec championship proved uh, relatively definitively. I think that the big 12 uh, is the best conference in basketball. Like the sec wasn't in contention, but like the big 12 acquitted itself really, really well. Save for a few games. Texas was one of those few games. Uh, Texas fell to number four, Tennessee, 82 to 71 uh, in one of the last games of the evening, but rebounded with a somewhat statement win uh, over Baylor 76 to 71 to take full control at the top of the Big 12 Rodney Terry 4 and 0 against AP Top 20 at the Mood big day for Texas yeah, I mean, look, if if Texas could host the entire NCAA tournament at home, they might just win this thing. They're real good at home. They're hard to beat. The mood is, as we've said, electric and an unbelievable home court advantage. Unfortunately, you're going to have to play neutral site games. You're going to have to play road games. They've won a lot of those, too. It's not a, a, a lost season. We we said last week, looking ahead at this stretch, it was brutal. Uh, and boy, I won't, won't tease what's coming at the end of this segment, but uh, it's also brutal uh, what comes next. But this was, this was a, a, you know, we all kind of said, "Hey, if you can go one and one, if you can go two and two across this, or you know, you could you could slice it and segment it however you want." No one thought we were going to win all of these, and and probably winning this would have been a great statement. But as far as for winning the conference, I might prefer the outcome to get the win uh, versus Baylor and take take first place uh, in in conference. Um, Tennessee looks really good, right? Hats off to them. Start by saying, you know, Texas. You, you could look at stats however you want, right? So I could say this one way. Texas had a 44 to 3 advantage in bench scoring. That could also be read as the starters from Tennessee outscored Texas 80 to 27. Um, that's nuts. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, uh, look, Tennessee has some really good players. They play really good defense. They are, in fact, the highest graded defense in the Ken Palm era. Like, legitimately, they're, they're as good as, as they've seen in the past 20 years. Um Rick Barnes has something going there. Their point guard is ace two-way player, great defensively, great scorer, um, really good at f- facilitating the ball. I think they're two best players. They're, they're interior big who just destroyed us, which scares me looking forward. Um, you know, and Zakai, that's Oliver, uh, I believe, Nakroma. Uh, and then Zakai Ziegler had, between them, they had uh, almost 50 points. Uh, eight rebounds, ten assists uh, there, and then shot combined seventy six percent. So that's that's hard. Ziegler was named the SEC Player of the Week for his troubles, um, but it's tough, right? They're a really good team, and they looked like the better team the entirety of the game. They didn't p- go deep, right? Texas tried to throw different things at them. Multiple people scored, but no one scored nearly as as much as they did. Um, they they stifled Texas. I think it was their fourth worst shooting. Um, Percentage of the season, and that's kind of to be expected with a really, really good defense. Rick Barnes has that defense humming. Um, the thing that's more worrying to me is that they were able to score inside at will. They were able to get offensive rebounds um, yep. a lot. 
when they didn't score the first time and they just kind of dominated in the interior. Yeah, and, and that was something that you and I both talked about in uh, the preview is that we were curious to see how Texas matched up with teams that had like legitimate bigs. And Texas got outscored 15 to 8 in second chance, chance points, uh, had a like 15 rebound margin. I think uh, Tennessee came away with like 11 offensive rebounds, turned that into 15 points, right? Points in the paint margin was 40 to 28. Like if you shrink any of those margins, this is a way more competitive game down the stretch. And so that again is, is, um, I don't want to say terrifying because I don't know if there is a better pair of big men in the country than what Tennessee brings to the table, right? Like they're, they're, they're post players. Uh, it's not just the, the first two guys in the post. They're like four deep at the, at the center and, and forward position. So like there's not a ton of competition there uh, around the country, but that being said, that's the recipe for beating Texas. And now it's on film, like for really to dominate a team that honestly has, has been one of the obviously better teams in the country. They're ranked in the top 10 and just knocked off a t- a, a, the number 11 team in the country, right? They're sitting atop the best basketball conference in the country right now, but the recipe is right there. Um, if you can take advantage and play bully ball down low, if you can clean the offensive glass, if you can really you know, just destroy the paint. That's that's really what's going to hurt Texas. And so, uh, again, that is really uh, worrisome, bothersome as Texas goes down the stretch because uh, Kansas is coming up on the horizon, and they have a pretty good big man themselves. Yeah, and, and SSK State, right, and, and yeah. guys who can score in the post. So, I mean, that's that's going to be a, um, a lot to look at. Next week, Texas enjoy that first place. If you, if 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 their road trip coming up, they they go two and zero, and then I will absolutely one hundred percent buy every stock in this team and believe. Um, but you know, they may not be first place, but that's okay. If, they they if you they know, go they one have, and one, are you buying half stock? Is really what I want to know. Hey, honestly, the final the final four is in in Houston. If they go one and one, I mean, I'm 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 buying tickets. This is you know, it's these these this week is is probably. Three teams that could all easily be in the Final Four, Texas being one of them, in uh, two teams that have looked in, like two of the, the ten best teams in the country, without a doubt. So um, a lot of good teams that we've been talking about, right? And that's how you want to measure yourself. But I, again, I don't want to shortchange the Baylor win. It, it had been six straight losses to Baylor, right? It, it had been um, kind of that Scott Drew had had the number as the monkey on the back for both Shaka and Chris Beard. Um, and Rodney Terry coming in and snapping that is amazing. I love to see that. Um, again, the, the home court, the mood is is phenomenal. I, I loved it. Um, again, second half, uh, Jabari Rice in this one, 15 of his 21 in the second half. How many times have we said that? They, you know, know how to choke out the game. They, they hit their free throws late. Um, you know, maybe not against Illinois, or they would have won that game. But uh, lately, and uh, especially again we, we, when Rice gets the ball in his hands, hits the free throws late, um, and, and it, you know, really he's he's able to do a lot of things. And, and you saw it in the Tennessee game where you try to play a bunch of different players, and, and Rice being one of those. But they have kind of shifts, right? He's a second half closer. You know, baseball has closers. So Jabari Rice is a closer, um, and I kind of love that. I love his game. I love what he does in, in the end of games. He has the most maturity um, and kind of senior poise on this team, even though there is, yeah. you know a lot of a lot of experience on this team it does feel like rice and and to some extent car right the like car has shined most in those kind of crucial moments he wasn't wasn't his best game but he did hit a big shot at the end to kind of seal the win right and so um those guys both you know seem to 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 have it in the clutch and, and that experience pays off and so um i do like I, again the, the the week i don't want to make it sound like it was a loss it was it was a wash right one tough tough loss against our, right now Ken Palm's number one team on the road, and then a really, really good win against a top 10 team at home. I mean, that's 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 a fair week, and, and so good on them. Um, I don't know exactly what you take from that Baylor game, except that, you know, Texas can find ways to win. They can turn it around in halves. If they don't have one good half, they can have the other. Um, and, and, and that's something we've seen from them, and, and it doesn't look to be, a, you know, a, a fluke. That, that seems to be how they're going to play. Um, it's going to make for some exciting games down the stretch is my <laughs> only thought. Yeah, and, and I think we've got a couple of those exciting games coming up this week, right? Uh, so Texas is on the road where they have been less than successful uh, than they are at home, right? 13-1 and one at home, 3-2 and two on the road. Uh, so they've got to go to Kansas State. Kansas State currently trailing by 15 in uh, Lawrence to the other team Texas has to play. That's number eight, Kansas. So a tough back-to-back stretch on the road. Uh, Texas hopefully should have a chip on its shoulder going into Manhattan. Uh, as 
Kansas State put the boots to them in Austin? Like their only home ago? loss of the year. Texas right? only home loss. So that's a get back game for them. I hope it's absolutely a. Uh, Hopefully Texas comes out and decides to, to play a little bit in that one. But we'll see. I mean, even if Texas uh, goes one and one in this, we've said it before and I'll say it again. The Big 12 champion this year is likely going to have four or five losses. And Texas currently only has two. So that even if they lose uh, one or both of these games, there's still a shot of them uh, winning the regular season title and getting that number one seed for the tournament. Moving on to the ladies' side. The ladies did what we always like to do, get both wins against the Sooner State topping Oklahoma 78 to 58 and then going back 78 to 69 over Oklahoma State. Both in the mood, a big, big home court advantage for Texas. The ladies getting it done. Yeah, that, that OU win, right? That, that was their second. Uh, they had beaten Baylor the, the game before, but um, that was their second consecutive ranked win, um, which is which is good, right? It's, this team is yo-yos basically from in the rankings and receiving votes in the rankings. And, you know, they, they need to uh, um, rank them this week because there's no reason they shouldn't. But, uh, you know, th- this is this is a good team. This is a Vic team that we think is, is heading the right way. I think beating OU was huge. Beating OU the way they did was amazing. It was a defensive masterclass. They held OU to 22 second half points, forced 24 turnovers. They held OU almost 30 points, 29 points below their season scoring average. They're coming in and averaging almost 90. Um, they held them to six points in the third quarter. They've held two ranked teams in victories, Iowa State and now OU, to a six-point second half quarter. One was third quarter against OU and fourth quarter against Iowa State. But that's incredible. And Texas improved a 14-0 and when they hold an opponent under 60. We know the Vic playbook, right? The, the kind of players who are new seem to be finding their scoring rhythm inside the offense and picking up what is expected on defense. They're playing smothering defense and it's showing with, with them getting some big wins. Yeah, I mean, we again, I'm not trying to bang our own drum as much as we probably are tonight, but it is what it is, right? Like we said this, that Texas is going to find its rhythm in January, February, and really hit its stride in March, and we're seeing that, right? Like Deanna Gatson, 19 points. Taylor Jones, 16 points. Shea Gonzalez, 12 points. Season-high seven assists against OU. Taylor Jones, again, chipped in 19 against Oklahoma State. Shea Gonzalez, mm-hmm. 17. Like, Rory Harmon, 16. The, the team is really starting to find its rhythm, and I think um, when you have a team that's built – a little bit younger than I think in some ways that Vic normally likes and a little bit more transfer heavy a little bit than I think Mm -hmm. Vic likes they well maybe not likes but but uh you have to find a way to gel right you have to find a way to to find your roles and find the ways that you play in basketball is as much of anything a game of rhythm and a game of um rapport with your teammates and so I think they're finally all settling into their spots and they're all better because of it yeah absolutely and and you mentioned it right like we, we've talked a little bit about Shayla Gonzalez and Sonia Morris kind of being the the other guards who score and Rory Harmon really you know just kind of seven assists a night is about the you know expectation from her which is incredible she's going to get you five rebounds seven assists and double digit points like I'll take that uh any day of the week and 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 twice on Sunday so um you know it's it's a it's a good formula but the 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 bigs with Taylor Jones really stepping in and and you know she was the 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 last of the three I guess to really step up and and kind of find her place in this system but she's really shining uh here lately and again that's that's not diminishing the shine of Deona Gaston who led all scores um in the first OU game with 19 and had had a you know 10 point game against Oklahoma State. So in and defense showing up as well, Khadija Fay, the other big, um, had a season high five blocks uh, against Oklahoma State, and and in that one the team helped to uh, get 16 offensive rebounds and and have the the big time rebounding advantage 36 to 22. That was the difference in that game. So um, it is a guard led team, but the the front court has you know three or four different players who can step up and, and some combination of Gaston and Jones makes them a really, really competitive team. If the guards are clicking and they're hitting their outside shots and they're playing their defense, you know, I, I put them up there as a top 10 ish quality team. Like they, they have that talent. So we'll see where they go down the stretch in this one. And again, this is a, it's the weird, like I think they finally cracked the top 25, but I, I the Vic Schaefer teams and, and I'm sure Vic is probably simultaneously playing up, the fact that they're overlooked and playing down what rankings really matter, right? That's what good coaches do. Uh, but they're, they're going to be a team that I think reflects a, a smaller number next to their name at the end of the season. So they've got another chance to prove that this week. They've got West Virginia in Morgantown and then heading back to Lawrence on Saturday to take on the Jayhawks. 
So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. And we'll start with football. The Big 12, finally, after, I think, blowing three or four different deadlines, self-imposed <laughs> deadlines, right? It's special when you blow your self-imposed deadline, but finally released the Big 12 schedule. And um, some good news and some bad news here. Uh, Texas has only five road games, and only uh, one of them in conference is out of the state of Texas. That's going to Ames, Iowa. Now, that being said, they don't get... West Virginia and Oklahoma State, which makes me sad because we don't get to welcome our friends back on the podcast. But also, those two teams might not be very good next year. So uh, <laughs> that uh, they substitute them for a U of H team. They road trip to Houston and then uh, hosting BYU at Texas. And I still have nightmares about the last time BYU came to Austin. So uh, it could be an interesting year. But running you through it, uh, conference play starts at Baylor, home against Kansas. OU at the neutral side, obviously technically the away team. I always prefer playing in Dallas in the whites, but that's just me. Then a bye week, then they go to Houston, host BYU and Kansas State. Then they go to TCU, to Iowa State, and close the season out on Friday against Texas Tech. Kyle, there's a lot of different talks and perspectives on this schedule. Texas obviously... Um, in the non-conference has Rice, Alabama, and Wyoming. So mm -hmm. theoretically, two and one heading into that, we'll say conservatively. But this is a schedule that potentially sets up well for Texas, I think, but also uh, could be a little trappy, especially that UH, BYU, Kansas State run. What's your What's your gut reaction to this this schedule? It's interesting. As a uh, native Houstonian, I do like that we're playing at U of H. That's going to be a, an historic day for uh, the the U of H football program, which will fill their stadium. Maybe not with red, um, but with a lot of burnt orange. Um, I, that one personally will, I think, be fun. BYU is really, really interesting. Um, they're not, you know, the, the peak... BYU, which is either Taysom Hill or Zach Wilson, right? It feels like when BYU has a world-beating quarterback, they're, they're sneak up on some people um they weren't great last year and and you know i don't expect them to be down but that's also a bit of a, a sark reunion right so it'll be a little bit interesting that'll be a you know one to watch for sure uh the home schedule is not like the most exciting slate of of games necessarily with bama being on the road in addition to the ones you listed right they basically get uh kansas byu kansas state texas tech um and then the the out of conference games uh, at home so hopefully texas can have a a clean home slate and and really excel at uh, you know at dkr and and then go and do the things they need to do on the road right i i think the at baylor at u of h at tcu at iowa state you know th that's an interesting slate of four road games right there um three and one feels probably right uh i would love it if one of the wins was TCU. I think we need to bring them a bit back to earth. Um, and I would love to do that. Um, you know, we knew Baylor would be a step down this year from where they were last year. It'll be very interesting to see kind of what the lost all that talent, had a year to kind of rebuild Dave Aranda team looks like. They could be really good. So getting them first could be interesting or they could still be kind of in their building up phase. So it, it, it'd be curious there. OU is the, is the biggest question mark, right? Like they have to rebound, you know, um, Burnt Vegetables isn't going to have the same uh, – Burnt Vegetables is not going to have the same, uh, you know, year that he had last year. We just know that, right? Like, they're, they're, there will be an improvement, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, it'll be very curious to see um, that game. We know even on their worst year or on our worst year, it's a toss-up regardless. So, don't really score it one way or the other. Um, but it'd be nice to get a little win streak going there against OU. But, I mean, all in all, it's not an incredibly difficult schedule. Um, it, it's not an easy schedule, um, but it, it is winnable. And if Texas takes the step forward that I think a lot of people will take, and I think with the schedule out now, you'll start to see, give it about uh, two weeks, you'll start to see some narratives of Texas, the Big 12 favorite, and it's going to be a ridiculous hype cycle. But Texas has a lot of talent. They should be improved. We'll get to all that in the offseason. But the schedule specifically um, probably lends to the narrative that they could – they could be heading into the OU game five and one. Like that's not crazy out of the realm of possibility. If they win that game and are six and one staring down the barrel after a bye week of at U of H at home versus BYU and Kansas state at which are tough games. And then TCU, like they can, they can only lose one more through that stretch or, you know, that's a big 12 championship type of team, you know, um, but I'm not going to sit here and predict that, but it, the schedule lays itself out that Texas could win 
you know, 10 games and, and, and get through this thing. Yeah, and I think I, I was fully expecting the Irving screw job out of this schedule, and I honestly think that went to Norman. Like, OU has to go to both Provo and Cincinnati next mm-hmm. year. Like, sucks to be them a little bit. Now they don't have to go to Manhattan, which is great, or they don't I, don't. I don't know if they're going to Ames or not. I didn't remember that. But, like, that stuck out to me like a sore thumb that, like, Texas – got a relatively favorable draw here like not having to go to Provo I think is huge especially in the fall I think U of H is I would I hope they don't because I prefer on campus to neutral sites but I could see a world in which that game ends up at NRG or something like that where they try Mm. to get a bunch of people in there because U of H I think the stadium holds like 40k and I think there there's going to be a big demand for tickets to that game but yeah I think they're We've been saying this for years, right? And so we're going to sound like a broken record. I'm going to sound like an idiot when it comes out of my mouth. I feel dumb saying it. But, like, this record sets up relatively favorably for Texas to make a run and finally get over the hump, right? In a year where Texas improved over a 5-7 and seven season and turned out uh, still a, a somewhat disappointing season, they they showed some progress. And I think this, is, this sets up a, for an opportunity for Texas to take another step forward and hit that 10-win mark, I think, like you said, right? Like, they have to win. And I think a 10-win season for Texas, Texas puts them in Arlington because that really means they only lose one conference game, maybe two. I even think a like nine and three regular season is relatively disappointing, but I think that still puts them in Arlington, which puts a completely different power on the season um, and allows Texas to really build on something because, you know, you get to Arlington and anything can happen. So you put that together, you end up 10 and three with the big 12 championship. Like that's a really successful year. Speaking of successful years, number one, women's tennis advances to the ITA national indoor championships with sweeps of Fresno state and those dirty Baylor bears. Um, for her efforts, Charlotte Shavatipon was named the Big 12 Women's Tennis Player of the Week. The men are following close behind, not quite as dominant, but still relatively <laughs> dominant. A four to one over number 22 Cal. They dropped the doubles point, which always kind of chaps me a little bit. Uh, but they swept Arizona to win the Austin Regional, uh, including five top 100 singles wins, which is absolutely huge. Um, Big, big weekend for tennis. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, Texas men move on to the national tournament for the fifth straight year. Um, both teams will be amongst the favorites there um, to, to win it all. Uh, the men's side, you know, you could see that six number shrink quite a bit. I think Spaziri is, is playing as good as anyone. I think he's the number three singles right now. As good as anyone in the country could have that number one, you know, uh, by his name, the way he's playing. He was named the Big 12 Player of the Week. That makes it consecutive Longhorns after uh, Woldiab won it last week. So the, both of these teams, a number one and a number six for now, could be higher, um, are looking right as we get into the uh, the Director's Cup time of year. And according to Tennis Insider, Michael Braswell's coming back for this one. So that's another boost Big. for Texas going into it. So uh, a shot at a uh, at another national championship run on the hard surface for Texas. So they'll be in the ITA National Indoor Championships, uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend, February 10th in Seattle. Speaking of high expectations and uh, dominance. Texas, track and field, number one women and number 13 men uh, setting some records and winning some meets. Number one women's track and field. Valerie Tobias broke her own record. I've never been that good at anything to break my own record, but she broke her own 800-meter program record uh, and put up the NCAA's best time this year as well as a Mexican national record for her efforts. Uh, Christine Blazavica finished as the runner-up at the Tex at uh, the Texas Tech Multi, which is the fourth best score in Texas pentathlon history. That's right. And just remember, some of these uh, meets um, for for swimming to some extent, but certainly for track, will feature uh, professionals running along with the college athletes. So sometimes it can be you got second, but you put up the third best time in NCAA history. You know that type of thing. Um, so really, really impressive finish um, from Blazavica there, and and of course Valerie Tobias just. Uh, just, just writing the record book as she goes. You know, keep it trying to keep stride with Julian Alfred and some of the sprinters who are breaking records. This is a really, really good uh, women's track team. Really, really good. On the men's side, really, really good as well. Number thirteen in the country, uh, Creighton Carosa. A little bit of Longhorn on Longhorn violence here broke uh, Jonathan Jones's record from a year ago in the eight hundred, uh, and in Lubbock. Leo, the Nugenbauer, uh, added the fourth best heptathlon. Heptathlon. That's easier said than done in UT's history. Yeah, I was I was talking to a, a former uh, UT heptathlete this week. Um, I, I won't I won't 
say any names, but he was a punter on the football team and a heptathlete on the track team. You could figure that out if you do enough Googling. But uh, he said the Nuge, the Nuge is, uh, is, a, is a personal favorite. So um, even former track athletes are as enthralled with the Nuge as, as Gerald and I. So, um, you know, NIL, can we get like a, uh, a the Nuge shirt and uh, in, in some kind of uh, fanny pack, you know, option? I think uh, we, we're, all, we're all clamoring for it when, with roundup season uh, on the horizon. Get your fanny packs and your neon dad hats here. Next up for them, the New Mexico Collegiate Classic in Albuquerque. Both will be competing there in the pool. Number two, women's swimming sweeps number four, NC State, 124 to 62, and then 93 to 53 on Saturday. In the last three meets, they've been on fire, beating not one, not two, but three top 10 teams. Yeah, the, the number four, number five, and number six uh, in all of their meets in 2023. They're hot, and they're setting records. We, you know, we had program records in the 200 Medley Relay. Emma Strickland broke her own UT record in the 100 Fly. Lady Jacoby improved upon her American age group in the 100 Breast. The 400 Medley Relay set a program record. Um, they're just flying through the pool. Uh, you know, I think Emma Strickland in the 200 Fly and Erica Sullivan in 1,000 Free also posted the best in NCAA marks so far. So um, women swimming with a sweep over the number four team looks like legitimately uh, – another national contender and i know we've just said that a lot like that's we're not bloviating here right that's number one women's tennis that's number one women's track and field number two could be number one women's swimming um so on the women's side you're looking at at multiple national champion uh contenders before rowing even hits the water speaking of small numbers number five men's swimming also swept number four north carolina state 98 to 88 on friday and 80 to 68 on Saturday. Big ups for them. Up next for both teams hosting SMU in the Sturkle Classic, which is the last meet before they claim another Big 12 championship on February 22nd. And we'll obviously keep you up to date with that. Heading out to the links, number 18 men's golf leads after two rounds at the Southwestern Invitational. The field includes the number four, 14, 19, 25, and 29 teams in the country. Gerald, Something really incredible happened in our first tournament in this uh, in this semester. Freshman Jacob Sosa, whose dad played at uh, at Texas in the '90s, but never posted a score this good, set a new low 18-hole score in Texas history. He shot an 11 under 61. The record was held by four different people at 63 in the entire decorated history of UT golf, one of the you know best golf programs in the country. No one has ever shot lower than a 63. Jacob Sosa, again, a freshman in his fourth ever collegiate tournament, posted a 61. Like that's scary um, because their three best scorers in this tournament are all freshmen. They're good and looking to get better for sure. Gerald, Texas sits after two rounds at 16 under. Would you like to guess where the second place team sits after two rounds? I'm going to go big, and I'm going to say three over. That is that is fairly close. It is one over. So there is ah. 17 strokes after two rounds with what I just mentioned as uh, five top 30 teams in this one. Texas, certainly that the the fall semester was, was interesting. We said they're going to come back stronger in spring. They're going to have some early enrollees. Um, they're going to have some freshmen take some steps up. Uh, they're going to have some players ready to go, and, and it certainly looks like um, the the reigning national champions who, you know, number 18 feels like a big number for a reigning national champion. I imagine uh, if they keep this up, will shrink rapidly. Kyle, I'm pretty sure my last 18 was a 161, much less a 61. That's absolutely <laughs> insane to think about. More small numbers coming at you. We're two weeks out from softball season. The expectations are high for Texas. Got some rankings in USA Today and uh, the coaches poll has them at number six. ESPN has them at number nine as well as Softball America. D1 Softball, which is probably the biggest of them, has them at number 14. But high hopes, high expectations for Texas. And again, softball is going to be a murderer's row in the Big 12. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State not going anywhere. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You're talking about Three of the, the the ten best, without a doubt, that will be just absolutely clawing at each other. And if any luck, they'll be doing it like they did last year at the very end of the tournament for who gets to play for a national title and ultimately win it. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Start it um, at the top of some playoffs, the penultimate round of the playoffs. Uh, Longhorns were represented on both of the championship games, but unfortunately, we will not have a Longhorn in the Super Bowl this year well 
I will caveat that in one moment. But of the Longhorn uh, alumni, Charles Omenahu uh, had two tackles, one quarterback hurry for the 49ers in their 31-7 loss to Philadelphia. Uh, and another defensive lineman, Joseph Osai, had five tackles, three solo tackles, two hurries, one tackle for a loss, one pass deflection. What would be a really great game and a very, very good game, very close 20-23 to loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. But, Gerald, there was, um, there was a penalty and there was some conversation in the internet and players, and it, it seemed to be one of the talking points of the weekend. What do you think of everything around the, the, the Osai kind of performance there? It was not a smart play to make. I think you have to hold up on uh, quarterbacks in the NFL specifically. Like, the NFL is going to protect quarterbacks in and of itself. But, like, I'm going to say this, and this is probably not controversial. Like, and I might be just defending him because he's a Texas guy, and I personally like Joseph Osai. But, like, that game did not come down to one play. Yes, it extended the the drive for, for Kansas City and kind of put them in scoring position. But, like, the Bengals had other chances to win that game and just did not, right? The offense also did not get it done. So, like, hinging an entire game on one play yeah like Joseph Osai took it hard he also played a really like a heck of a game before that dude was nails going into that play and is part of the reason why they were competitive in the game right five tackles two quarterback hurries a tackle for loss and a PBU right like he played a really good game that one play is going to uh stick out to a lot of folks but the game was not won and lost on one play and since he had opportunities to win that game outside of that. So uh, it's hard to hinge it on one play. But yeah, that was a dumb play uh, that kind of gave the game away. And it's crazy because Osai is a really smart guy. Um, you know, if, if you have an interview with Joseph Osai, he's a great interview. He's a smart, smart football player, um, smart human. Boneheaded play. He's young in his career. One of his teammates was chirping at him, and I get it. Emotions boiled over, but it seemed like the general consensus was to come kind of to his, his aid. And, and yeah, it was a dumb play, but don't let it define your career. Get us back there next year, right? And I appreciate that. Um, and I think there's a lot still to be told in the Joseph Osai story. But to a lot of folks who either aren't Longhorns or Bengals fans, maybe it was their um, kind of first time really seeing him um, on that big national stage. And that's a tough way to go. Him kind of crying on the on the bench was, was pretty brutal to watch. But, um, Gerald, the quarterback who we pushed was Patrick Mahomes. We know that. It's very famously, you know, he's backed up by Chad Henney. Again, a, a player who... Played against Vince Young in the 05 Rose Bowl. That Chad Henney. That's how old Chad Henney is. So let's say Osai pushed Mahomes too hard. He's a little he's a little nicked up. He can't start. He will. But let's just hypothetically, he can't. And Chad Henney, I mean, he's old. Like, let's just say his knees aren't working. Do you know who the third string quarterback for those very Kansas City Chiefs is? The man, the myth, the legend himself, Shane Bouchelle. That's right, Shane Bouchelle. So we're claiming him, baby. Longhorn in the Super Bowl yet another year. Shane Bouchelle is uh, is there. There was a Twitter question of the player that uh, transferred from your school who you still support. And, and there are some great answers that we gave and we thought of. But of course, of course, Shane Bouchelle is on that list. And so we're claiming him. Shane Bouchelle, Super Bowl. Um, Longhorn Street continues. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it at that and move on. The Orange and White game, Gerald, was announced for April 15th um so some some football you'll get the super bowl and then you'll have two uh some odd months of of no football um and then you'll get the kind of football uh with the spring game uh if you really are, are, are that desperate it's it's you know only a couple months out kyle the xfl kicks off like right after the super bowl who are you who are you saying there's not going to be football you know that's i will admit i am i am naive and blind to the xfl i love the idea and the concept uh i've always been a he hate me stan but uh yeah i i, I honestly don't know are there any good longhorns in the xfl i need to look into that i'll, I I'll come prepared there are two non-fall football leagues that are playing this year and i'm sure there's a longhorn on at least one of those teams and i will i will look in and find that out before we we come back and podcast next week um actual longhorns that we know about let's keep it moving Roy Harmon selection the Nancy Lieberman award midseason top 10 list which uh goes to of course the top point guard in the nation Roy Harmon very deserving much deserved uh leads the big 12 and ranks fourth in the country in assists per game uh we again said that her being out and coming back was going to be a difference for Texas and lo and behold she is one of the 10 best ladies in the country. Hint, hint, I might just talk about in my banging the drum about how the uh, the team's pretty good since Harmon came back after missing the first five. Uh, softball's Mia Scott was selected to USA Softball's top 50 watch list. She joins a pretty distinguished cast since Mike White has arrived in, in 2018. Uh, joins Janae Jefferson, Haley Dolcini, Mary Iacopo, Shea O'Leary, and Miranda Elish uh, as players to receive such an honor. 
I mean, again, they're relatively high expectations for Texas, their team that can end up playing in Oklahoma City at the end of the year. And so I think um, seeing another Texas Longhorn on the on the list and as an opportunity to stay on that list for the remainder of the season uh, will be big for uh, Mike White and the crew. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mia Scott is your new. I know we've we've had such a long time where it was just uh, Janae Jefferson was the name to know. Mia Scott, if you're a casual softball fan, if you make it out to a softball game, which we can't reckon, recommend uh, highly enough, you have another infielder who gets a lot of hits to root for. Mia Scott is your new fan favorite there. Um, and a couple more uh, on the diamond pitchers, Lucas Gordon and Tanner Witt were both named to the preseason All-Big 12 team the only two uh longhorns both were pitchers the baseball alumni game is set for this weekend so folks can can go out and catch that one and then finally uh closing it out again with golf uh freshman christian moss and senior travis bick were both named to the ben hogan award watch list two of the 37 players considered for the golf heisman the nation's top collegiate male golfer all right gerald time for a little bit of godzilla tron what have you been watching on your giant screen uh, so my wife and I finished off the first season of Reboot. It's a Hulu original. And much like a lot of sitcoms, I always call it the sitcom problem. Like it takes like two or three episodes to really settle in uh, to the characters. And by episode like three, my wife and I were both laughing out loud. It's like Keegan-Michael Key, Judy Greer, and Johnny Knoxville are your leads. And they were, Paul Reiser is one of the leads as well. It's really, really funny toward the end. Uh, the finale is weirdly poignant for um, a show that's about like dysfunctional actors who are trying to get their like second pass at things I started a new audiobook called jackal i'm not a super big horror reader but it comes highly recommended by a lot of people i follow on social media so i'm going to check it out um so far it is very creepy it's about um unsolved murders in, in a small town and it's been interesting thus far and then i have to pause we mentioned my wife and i were watching the last of us last week and um episode three of the last of us is as it sits right now, uh, it, there's probably a little bit of recency bias, but um, I'm not alone in thinking this. It's one of my favorite episodes of television of all time. Um, it is so. The Last of Us, if you're not familiar with like the story, is a very bleak, post-apocalyptic, um, basically, and it's honestly creepily accurate. Basically, temperatures increase around the world to a point where some um, parasitic mushrooms mutate and can take over human bodies and basically turn them into zombies. And so that's uh, not necessarily too far-fetched, right? But anywho, <laughs> so the first two episodes are very bleak. It's setting up this post-apocalypse thing. Uh, and then episode three, Bill is a, is a major character in the games if you're a gamer. And so episode three uh, was set to introduce Bill and they go, uh, they deviate from the game pretty significantly with Bill's story. And it turns into a self-contained short film about the purpose of survival survival and the purpose of life and it's like 90 minutes of just like one of the most beautiful love stories i've ever seen in my uh in the entirety of tv like it was just beautiful nick offerman put in like the best performance of his life as one of the two leads um nick offerman is like this post this doomsday prepper and it turns out that he was right you know he's living on his own and watching his uh meticulously placed traps you know keep him safe and then he finds a a man in a hole who, who falls in one of his traps and they end up um spending the rest of of their lives together uh, in in this like post apocalypse and uh, the end of the episode absolutely made me weep because he writes this letter and this is spoiler so be on the lookout for that but basically getting to the point of like what's the point in surviving if there's nothing you love in the world mm. and like that was like it just absolutely crushed me um, and so it was, it was one of the best episodes of TV I've seen of all time like it is so so good and like you don't expect that performance out of Nick Offerman and so he absolutely crushes it it was very there was very much like Ron Swanson weird in there like it was very much a type uh but then it flipped it on its ear a little bit it was very very good if only it wasn't couched in a a horror show because i i, I may never get to it i just don't i know my limits um don't enjoy horror even in the slightest um not nor suspense or, or thrillers like they just i don't have the the stomach for it yet i choose to watch longhorn sports um <laughs> uh <laughs> gerald I, I i did watch something a couple things that were phenomenal i watched uh john wick 2 finally got to the second one um it's just it's just such a simple perfect well executed good action franchise there's not a thing wrong with it you got to see uh what he can do with a pencil uh in real time which was <laughs> somehow significantly more shocking than any of the hundreds of headshots with guns um from point blank range but um the pencil ooh. um 
just great. Like it, my wife made a comment that you know it, it seems that uh, in 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 action movies, like they just have to go to the nicest cities in the world for their plot. Like it's must be nice to shoot action movies, and you're just like, oh, I gotta go to Rome, I guess. I gotta go to uh, Venice, you know, wherever. So uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see where else John Wick goes. It's fan- fantastic. If you haven't seen it up to this point, if you're like me, somehow. Missed it and waited. I think the fourth one is coming out in March. So, um, you know, it's uh, catch up. You can, you can get through them pretty quick, and it's it's a great hang. It's like a video game on screen in all the best ways. Um, we also watched Notting Hill on Netflix. I hadn't seen that mm. like since it first came out, like way, 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 way back when. I don't even remember. Early 2000s, Solid late rom-com. 90s. Uh, great rom-com. Uh, I was in, in London this past summer for the first time and was staying close to Notting Hill, not in Notting Hill, but... Didn't even realize I was close to the famed Blue Door. Um, could have could have gone on some kind of Notting Hill tour that I'm sure exists. Sure of it. Um, but it's it's charming. Um, Julia Roberts at her most charming, and Hugh Grant at his like young boyish charming before he kind of got like weird older. Hugh Grant, but uh, he still you know could do no wrong. But uh, fantastic. Just just a girl standing in front of a boy. Um, <laughs> it's it, it, you know I'm not I'm not the first person probably. Um, to go from John Wick 2 to Notting Hill. Uh, maybe I am. Who knows? But that's who I am. Y'all need to get used to it. And then, closing out, who I am. Gerald, um, before I go too deep into this, I have to ask, have you seen you people? I have, I have not seen you people, Kyle. Okay. What do you mean, you people? Correct. Um, a provocative name and title um, that tells you kind of where the film is going. It's part of uh, Jonah Hill's, you know, what seems endless deal with Netflix where he just puts out content. I wrote it off. Like I didn't even consider watching it. Didn't even hear anything about it. Um, it is, it has been either for people loving it or people hating it. It's, it's been a talked about thing on, on Twitter. My wife was shocked that I hadn't really heard anything one way or the other to sway me, you know, how I should feel about it. And, and I guess she had, so we watched it. It is a film with Jonah (laughs) Hill, um, as the love interest, of, let's just say it, it's the classic oldest Hollywood trope, right, that that has ever happened. A, a woman who in real life would have no reason to be anywhere near him, right? Like, the former betrothed to Nipsey Hussle in real life, IRL, uh, Laura London was was the, the on-screen kind of significant other to Jonah Hill. He comes from a very hilariously, like, stereotypically, like, rich but woke Jewish LA Hollywood family and she comes from um and also rich uh but uh very um nation of islam um black family uh and Eddie Murphy is her very militantly um islamic uh father and he, and he is fantastic like God, I miss just having Eddie Murphy in things all the time. Um, it's <laughs> yes. as good as I've seen Eddie Murphy in years for sure. Um, it's like a, it's it's a, it's 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 just a, you know, don't be too serious if you go in just expecting a, you know, satirical, funny, ridiculous, uh, modern take on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. There's no Sidney Poitier in this for sure. Um, but and you realize that it's improbable that Jonah Hill could could have a beautiful woman actually, you know like the the relationship is set up um just enjoy it like like you know um mrs veep julia louis dreyfus is 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 his mom and so there's a a his mom uh, julia louis dreyfus and her dad mr x files um as well uh and then her parents are, are neil long and and um Eddie Murphy. And so like the parents are almost as good as anything in the entire movie. Um, but it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, full disclosure. I don't think I've ever hit this on this podcast. I am Caucasian and my wife is African American. And so there's a little bit of just like, sometimes I cringed so hard watching it, like not because <laughs> it wasn't meant to make you cringe. Like it was intentional cringe, but it worked. Like I just cringed so hard at some of the stuff like, uh, uh I get, I get, I don't know. I, I'm not going to break down any particular specifics, but it's just like it is tongue in cheek all the way through. And as long as you don't take it too seriously, like you will laugh. There are some really funny things um, in this movie, and I enjoyed it. Like there were there were probably ten laugh out loud, just great, hilarious moments, and and five or six just like my cheeks hurt from my mouth being gaped open in cringe uh, moments. And and look, if a movie can make you react, then. It's uh, it's certainly you know it's something. I, I, I think it's pretty good. Like I I, I wouldn't give it any awards, uh, but it's you know it's it's a funny ridiculous something different. So check it out. 
I mean, it's it's one of those like my wife and I like to have these like no brain movies, and so it mm-hmm. feels like it's on that like no brain list. Um, we need those like after watching The Last of Us, we need stuff like that. So uh, it'll be a good uh, a good palate cleanser for us. And now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle. What are you making the drum on this week? As we've talked about, um, Texas men's basketball has been elite at the mood. They've sold out every single game. We know that. They lost to Kansas State. We hated that. But otherwise, they're undefeated at home. They're undefeated in, in Austin in general. They had one game at the Greg, but they're undefeated. Certainly uh, 12-1 and one at the mood. They're doing great. Women are also doing really, really great at the mood. They're 10-1 and one at the Moody. They've, in fact, won their last eight Um if you're paying attention, we said this team was yo-yoing a bit, but if you zoom out a little, they're 13 and 2 in their last 2 months. Like they are really good. Um Rory Harmon missed the first 5 games and as she's really found her form, this team they've had two stumbles in the calendar year 23 that kind of felt like, ah, they should have won those, right? If they were 15 and 0, look a lot better, but they've been very good and they've bounced back from a couple of their stumbles um, to, to be very good. And, and they, they've had some ranked wins and I, and, and like I said, they should be ranked. Um, there have been, a, there's been a lot of conversation about the mood from the women's side. I've really enjoyed basically every coach that's gone in has had something to, to say about it, right? Oklahoma uh, coach Jeannie uh, Baranchik said that, you know, her first opening press conference comment was, I have to give a shout out to the the attendance today, right? Like their crowd is phenomenal. Iowa State's coach said it's it's so fun to play here. It's it's a phenomenal addition to the league. Well, we're not new to the league, but the, the mood is right. It's it's night and day. It's different, right? It's um, the coaches of the best teams are coming there and feeling something that they never felt before, and that's on you. That's on the fans. Um, Vic Schaefer has expressed you know just his gratitude repeatedly. Um, they've done some cool promotions as as these teams always do, um, especially since Vic has arrived. Uh, we mentioned they they started the season with the kind of uh, Uvalde moving forward. Foundation, and they just announced this week that they actually uh, were paying out forty-two thousand seven hundred and six dollars from donations um, from that game to Rob Elementary School, which is just so incredible. Um, but if you look at it, right where Texas is at, they're thirteenth in the country right now for average attendance per game on the women's side. Like that's phenomenal. I just want to applaud our fans. I want to applaud our students. We're getting you know uh, thousands of students out there for every game. We have the season ticket holders, and we have folks just just coming in. And so, um, just want to you know take a second to to pause and appreciate that. That there have been a lot of things said both about the men's and women's side. You know how big the Greg was and how silent it could sound and just everything that they did with this change seems to be working. And you have teams that are combined 22 and two since they opened this thing. So they're giving fans a lot to cheer about. Um, But again, the fans are showing up and showing out. Shout out to the corral, right? Shout out to the corral in the student section. Um, Texas has gone from being a home court disadvantage and being kind of a laughingstock in the punchline uh, on the basketball home court to being a legitimate force uh, on uh, on the hardwood. I'm banging the drum this week on just an interesting stat I found. Friend of the show. I don't know if he's friend of the show. He's never been on the show, but we tweeted back and forth quite a has bit. Has he not been on uh, the show? Parker has never been on the show. I've been on shows with Parker, but he's never been on our show we're gonna need to fix that we'll need to fix that maybe for this the problem is every time we need tcu we go tree blossom which i mean understandable but maybe we just get parker on for st- all right we'll talk later I, Any- we need to fix that go ahead <laughs> so uh parker stats of war on twitter you're probably following him if you're following us uh tweeted out an interesting stat this uh tuesday the day we're recording this that the receiver's fault incompletion rate which uh lists basically you know anything from missed routes to drops and things like that but uh the number one quarterback is probably a name you're familiar with quinn ewers led the nation in receivers fault incompletions with 6.33 percent of is incompletions coming in as the receiver's fault. Now that's like, you know, nine or 10 based on the numbers of incompletions he had, but still a big number. When you compare it to the number two, which is another name you're probably familiar with, Cam Rising came in at a whopping 3.14. So literally half the number of receivers fault incompletions than Quinn Ewers had. So double the number two place there. And 
we've talked about this before. The Texas receivers had some struggle spots this year. The Texas receivers receivers had some interesting moments, bad routes. We remember the back-to-back games of back-to-back drops with Casey Kane. We know, obviously, in the bowl game, Xavier Worthy had multiple touchdowns that he dropped. And I think it goes to show that it's not quite as black and white always as we think about it is when we're judging a quarterback's production and his ability and, and what's going on. So I'm curious to see what the Texas wide receiver room looks like with a with a wide receiver coach that uh, has a record for development. They've got a lot, a lot of talent. We saw Casey Kane pop in the bowl game. Xavier Worthy presumably back this year. He hasn't tweeted out any more dramatic stuff, so I guess he's going to stay at least through the spring. Um, Jordan Whittington is back for another year. They added AD, uh, AD Mitchell to the roster. Isaiah Nail coming back. They added in John T. Cook in the 2020, uh, 2023 class. They have Brendan Thompson. They've got all of these names that are hopefully going to be productive. And so I think something I'm curious to see, and we'll obviously talk about it as the spring game approaches in a couple of months here, there is an opportunity for Texas to take a step forward. And, and I think it's just when you evaluate the passing game and the offense at Quinn Ewers, like just context is very, very important. I agree with you, Gerald. And there was some interesting news that that kind of flew a little bit under the radar and rightfully so. It's not huge news, but it came across, I believe, last week. Dirk Cutter, an NFL offensive coordinator. I think he may have taken over from Sark or around the same time uh, as the Falcons offensive coordinator after being the Bucks head coach, uh, the Bucks OC, Falcons OC before that, and a longtime NFL and college coach before that, head coach at Boise in the in the turn of late 90s, um, is currently the interim OC of Boise State. His son, who played football at Boise State, just announced that he's joining the staff at Texas as an offensive GA. So really interesting is at the same time they're adding and Chris Jackson comes in, now they're adding a you know son of an NFL head coach who himself was a prolific uh, college receiver for Boise and, and comes in as a GA role. They're, they're really filling that room, both with talent and with people to shape that talent. Jackson is an interesting coach who you know started in the, didn't play football until college. You know, after he graduated, started in community college, made his way, started in the the I think it was XFL or or Arena League, Arena League actually set all the records in that league, made it to the NFL, like had this interesting career, just started coaching receivers, just started, and was so great and came in. There, Sarkis is pulling some strings here, and we've talked about this. When there is a problem, there is an area, they just throw all the resources, offensive line, defensive line. Get all the guys in. Throw all the resources. Build it up. Receiver, clearly. Not that Sark had this stat in front of him, but he felt it and saw it. They've had something of an overhaul while keeping a lot of their talent. So I'm really, really interested. Um, just more wrinkles on on this wide receiver room and, and expect to see leaps and bounds improvement there. Here's hoping. Again, Texas has an opportunity to take another step forward this year. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. We head into our last month of the Spanish.